And uh, I want to speak, just start another series. And uh, I want to look at uh, extravagant love. That's a good one, extravagant love. Trying to think about what I could call this series, extravagant love. So we're going to do some some uh, messages just related to that. And uh, I want us to start in, uh, in, in this particular passage here, Matthew chapter 22. And uh, Jesus asked a question in verse 20, uh, 36. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? What's the most important thing in the Bible? And Jesus said to him, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment. Seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So notice there, love God passionately. Love people fervently, including yourself. And so we're going to look at this series on extravagant love, but I want to look this particular time, we want to look at the love that God has for us. Because most people, when they think about being Christian, they think, well, there's lots of things you have to do now. Lots of things you're not supposed to do now. Seems like this life's more complicated. But Jesus never came to make life complicated. He came to make it abundant. And he came to make it abundant by introducing us to a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And so you notice what he says here. The whole of the Bible, everything is summed up in passionately loving God. That is all your soul and all your mind and all your heart. That's not sort of a, 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 an inexpressive thing. That is a passionate thing. I was watching an interview with that, that New Zealand group, Flight of the Concords. You, ever seen, you know Flight of the Concords? And uh, these Kiwi guys, and they just kind of talk like this, you know, hippopotamus, and, and they, go, they, they kind of talk with a monotone sort of voice. And uh, the guy, one of the guys says, those guys talk funny. And this is, what he, this is what they said. They said, oh, no, that's just a New Zealand accent. I laughed and laughed when I saw that thing. But it was just, but what it was was they were just highlighting just the monotony and lack of expression and passion. And when you have a look, a lot of people are like that. No passion. No passion. God is a passionate lover of people. And we're going to look and see that the whole key around us loving God passionately is first of all experiencing Him. You can't make something like that just happen. It can't be done unless God doesn't first ignite something in our life by touching us. So before we look about loving extravagantly, loving God, loving people, loving ourselves, before we go down that track, we want to focus today on just the passionate love that God has for us. Because people have all kinds of concepts of God. And the way you see God is how you will approach Him. So if you have wrong concepts of God, it will affect how you can connect to Him. So for example, if you believe someone's angry at you, you're going to stare clear of them. If you feel guilty that you've already failed someone, let them down, you probably won't want to meet them. If you feel that someone is really heavy demanding of you, you won't enjoy being around them. But if you know someone loves you and celebrates you and welcomes you, accepts you, and no matter what's happened in your life, they're not phased, they're not changed, they're not disturbed, that they can totally be relied on to embrace and celebrate you, you could easily connect with a person like that. The problem is we don't have many relationships like that. And so we project the pain of our own relationships into the relationship with God and then avoid them. And I want to just show and open up the Bible and show you just the extremely expressionate, passionate manner that God loves people. It's extraordinary and it's got pictured all through the Bible just how passionate God is. And so we're going to look at that. 1 John 4 verse 19, it says this, 
It says, we love him because he first touched us with his love. And you see, so this love that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him passionately. Get into God. Really be engaged and love him passionately. And then let it overflow to love people. He said, that is the response that comes when we experience something with him. So the thing is not to try harder to love God and love people. The thing is, firstly, fuel the fire of your experience with him. We love him because he first loved us. We respond to him because he first initiated reaching out to us. Now, when you begin to see that, when your capacity to live the Christian life diminishes, take time to get near and experience the love God has for you. It will ignite the fire again. Get in his presence. So let's look at this. First thing I want to look at is 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. God is an initiator of love. God is the initiator. Many people have, uh, people think about God as being someone who's very demanding, that he, he wants us to do this and doesn't want us to do that. But this is what the Bible says. Now God is love. So it tells us the nature of God. It is, he is a loving person. He can never change. That's his nature, is to be loving, to be compassionate, to be gentle, to be merciful, to uh, believe in us, to look for the very best in us, to be very patient in working with us. That's the very nature of love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13. That's what God's like. He's patient. He's very, very compassionate. He's willing to reach into us and encourage us and lift us up. He's willing to help us. He longs to invest himself. He's an initiator of love. He starts it off. And we'll show you just with a few things in the Bible. And, and as you think about your own experience, that God always is an initiator. How many people just woke up one day and decided they're going to become a Christian? You don't. God has sent people into your life. He's pursued you. He's always the one who initiates. When you look through the Bible, we find from one end to the other, God is the one who initiates relationship. Why did he make people? I mean, with all the mess that people have made, why did God create people? Very simply this. Love must find an expression. Love must have an overflow. Love must outwork in a practical, tangible, verbal, emotional, and spiritual way. can't just say, I love, but it's real deep down. Sorry, that kind of love doesn't work. It's buried. It's dead. It's not active, vibrant love that always overflows and has expression. If you bury your love, your relationship's with it. So God has designed us for a relationship. He designed people for relationship with him. He designed you and I to experience him, not just to know about him, but to actually experience a touch of God from the realm of the Spirit, touching us because we are spirit beings. That's what God is like. You ever think about that? That's how we are. God has designed us to be a relational being, to be a spirit being. Now, here's the thing about God is he loves you. Now, we find that hard because we find that love for most of us has been an experience where we experienced love when we did right. We experienced something else when we didn't do right. So people's love for us has been, most of our lives, has been conditional on our performance. So we tend to think that when we come to God, that his love for us is also based around our performance. And so people reduce Christianity, well, you've got to do this and you're not allowed to do that. That is not what Jesus came to give us. 
God loves you exactly as you are. You may think, well, I've got my nose is too big. Well, he loves that. It's the way he made it. Don't give up on it. Hey? You may think, well, I don't like my ears. They stick out. Well, God loves those ears of yours. He allowed you to be designed that way. You may think, well, I've got some faults and lacks in my life. Well, don't get, don't worry. God is not phased by that at all. He sees the potential in your life and what you can be because he loves you. You may think, well, you know, I've really messed stuff up in my life. Well, don't worry. God has made a provision for you to overcome that, to learn from it, and to become a better person at the other side. God loves you. In the morning when you wake up, God loves you and is watching over you. I'll show you it in the Scripture in a moment. When you sleep at night, God is still watching over you. He doesn't sleep. During the day, God is watching what you do. He longs to invade your world and to invade the world of others around you. So when you look in the Bible, how God came to people, he came in unusual ways. Came to Moses in a bush. Came to the disciples in an upper room. Came to people in all kinds of different ways. And he still does. All kinds of different ways God is willing to reach into your world. If you will look and reach out for him, you'll experience him. Trouble so often we just get so busy that we just forget. I want you to have a look at a scripture here in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This is an amazing scripture. Psalm 139. This is one that David wrote. Psalm 139. I won't open it all up, but I want to just draw your attention to just a couple of things in it about how God looks upon you. See, God is an initiator of love. We'll pick it up at verse uh, 13. You formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. Now, what he's saying here is he's saying that in, see, what happens in the mother's womb is the physical body is formed. The child begins to grow and develop. But what, the, what, what David is saying in here is he's saying that I was actually a spirit being, and you have covered me with a physical body. So you were watching over me even while I was being formed in the womb. Notice what else this says. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me. So David is saying this. He's saying that while I was still in the womb being formed, while I was experiencing things in my mother's womb, you were watching over me. And as I came forth, you wrote down in a book a destiny, a plan, something my life was called to accomplish, a purpose for my life. What an amazing thing. In uh, Jeremiah 20, 20 uh, um, 3 or 29 verse 11 it says I know the thoughts I have to you thoughts of good not evil so every day God is thinking about you he's thinking thoughts that'll give you hope he's thinking how your life can go forward he's thinking how you can prosper he's thinking how you can be encouraged he's thinking how you can succeed Bible says the Lord delights and takes pleasure when we succeed and prosper he loves it he doesn't sort of rejoice over us failing and falling over. He lifts us up. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though we fall, though we fall, he'll not be utterly cast down or abandoned by God. God will lift him up and get him young again. This is the nature of God. He initiates love. He initiates reaching out. He continually thinks. So God's absolutely passionate about people. I want you to go with me in Song of Solomon. There's a whole number of ways in the Bible where God seeks to express what he's like. So if you just read it as a book, you kind of miss it, really. But if you, if you realize that this book 
describes the experiences of men who encountered God. And they weren't perfect people. The Bible's full of people with lives that were full of holes and mistakes and failures. Yet God loved them and worked powerfully through them. Many of them changed their generation, yet they were full of holes and faults in their lives. But God loved them. He's not overwhelmed by your failures and lacks. He'll help you get up. I want you to have a look in Song of Solomon here. And it tells us about the love that God has. Now, Song of Solomon, guys don't tend to like this book too much. And it kind of looks like it's sort of a romancy sort of book. Well, it is. And what it is, it's actually, um, it's, it's like an allegory. It's like a, a picture story of a relationship between a groom and the bride. So all through, there's a, the, bride, the groom talks, the bride talks. And so yeah, that's what it is. It's all full of that. And it's full of talk of romance and love using picture language. But actually, it is to describe the nature of what God's feelings and desires and yearnings are for people, particularly for those who have responded to him. Look what it says here in uh, Song of Solomon's verse 8. It says in Song of Solomon verse, uh, verse 7, rather, chapter 8, verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love. So waters in the Bible speak of adversity or difficulties or setbacks. And notice what it says. It's God's love for you. You can't quench it. You can't put it out. You can't take the flame out. You can't diminish it in any kind of way. His love remains consistent. It's not dependent on our performance. So what happens is, We tend to respond based on our performance. So the Bible says no matter what we're going through, no matter what difficulties, hardships, whatever struggles, failures, God's love for you doesn't change. Unquenchable. He loved you at the start. He loves you now. He'll continue to love you. Hard for us to understand it. Do you want to look at just a few more expressions of it? The Bible's full of it. Once you start to look for it, you'll find throughout the Bible God trying to show how he loves people. And his willingness to engage in our lives in a positive, life-changing way. If we will respond. He's yearning for us to respond. Let's have a look at another one in Song of Solomon's, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Now, this one here. Now, this is going to be tough for the guys. But here it is. This is a man talking. You say, now, guys, we kind of keep the love down deep. But that's not good enough, you say. God is a passionate lover. He's a passionate person. So when God loves, he loves passionately. He's absolutely extravagant in all he does. So you think about creation, for example, and you look in creation, and you look at it, just get on a clear, starry night, look at it, just look at the magnificence of everything there. And see, God is so creative. Have a look into creation. The whole variety of animals is still discovering species. In spite of all the species of animals, God's... Now, you know, if you and I were told to make a few animals for the earth, we'd probably come up with about three or four or five, and that's about it. Some, a couple that fly, a couple that go in the water, and a few on the land and we could eat, and there it is. But God is extravagant. Look at all the animals. All the different kinds of species, variety. You look at the big one, look at the little one. It's absolutely diverse. That's God, extravagant. Look at the colors. If you were to think about the colors, if you were going to create a world and put colors, you'd probably pick one or two of your favorites, and that'd be it. Well, God's got favorites. Blue, I think. And green. But there's all kinds of colors. God is diverse. You think about, look at the people around. How diverse we are. See, God is extravagant in his expression. Now, don't try and copy someone else. God doesn't want you to copy someone. He made you like you are. He likes you like you are, too. He likes you like you are. He likes you. 
He loves you. You are special to him. You are valuable to him. The world around you takes away your value, but God always values you. He never changes. Now look at this. And this is the, now this is the, the groom speaking. And so this, these words here are, are a picture of God speaking words to people, to his people that have responded to him. You have ravished my heart, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. How fair is your love, my spouse. How much better than wine is, the, is your love. Now that's pretty, that's good stuff. We don't go any further. You just get all distracted. Okay? And notice, notice what that word, that word ravish. It means to fill with strong, passionate feelings and emotions because something is very attractive. And it's saying in that verse, it's saying, when people look to God with love and desire for Him, His heart is filled with expressive emotions. He loves that. He designed us for that. He designed us for an intimate, expressive relationship. You're wired. You're wired for it. You've malfunctioned if you don't have it. But the Bible says, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Sin's just we're separated from God and we can't function like we're supposed to. We still function in some ways, but not in the fullness of what God has. Look at that one there. Hey, I'll give you another verse here. Try and Song 6 and verse 4. Verse 4. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza. That was one of the most beautiful, fruitful cities that everyone wanted to go and live in, in Ephraim. You are beautiful. Now, that's God speaking. Can you imagine God saying that to you? You are beautiful. We see you're struggling with that already. But that's what the Bible says. You see, you're struggling because you've got your own ideas about God. But God is not, he's not unwilling to say to you, in my eyes, you are beautiful and I love you. When you respond to me, my heart is stirred with deep emotion. See, that's, that's what God is like. He's not wanting us to keep laws and keep rules and stuff like that. He's wanting us to have a relationship. His heart yearns for the relationship. And you see, he gave us a free will so we can choose whether you're into that relationship and become a lover of God or whether we become a lover of the world and fill our life with substitutes. But when we turn our heart towards God and begin to respond to his love, then he in turn begins to find fulfillment. He says he's made us for his pleasure, made us to enjoy us and us to enjoy him. It's the way we design. Wonderful, isn't it, eh? Well, the guys are starting to choke now. So, But you see, you know, we carry wrong concepts of God. And, and most people bring out of their family background all kinds of, and their experiences, all kinds of ways of viewing relationships and love and particularly God. And if you don't actually find what the Bible says, you'll have an image of God that's not correct, that's not right. And you can't relate to something that's not really him. You've got to relate to him. And he says, you're beautiful, I love you. I'll give anything. And he has, he's given his only son, Jesus Christ. So all through the Bible, you find God pursuing people, pursuing them, chasing them, trying to bring them into relationship, overcoming all kinds of things. We've got a whole number of things like this. So God pursues us. And you think about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Now, God has made Adam and Eve for a relationship with him. Imagine every day God would come and they would feel his presence and he would talk with them and they'd talk what they had done and would enjoy him and, and things were beautiful. And they made a dumb decision. They're going to go their own way. 
And so when God came again into the garden, he says they heard his voice and felt his presence and they ran away in fear and hid. Now, what did God do? Well, watch this. Lightning bolts are for you. See, but that's the concept people have. It's a wrong concept. It's a religious concept. It's a false concept. Does God deal with issues? Yes, he does. But love always rejoices over judgment. God must uphold justice and judgment, but love is much higher than that. And so what did God do? It says, he said, Adam, where are you? That's a relationship question. Adam, I know what you have done, and you have broken my heart that you choose something as a substitute for me. Can we meet and talk about this and put this matter right? That's what God was doing. That's the response of someone who still loves. And Adam, instead of owning up and facing up, blamed someone else. And then because he made the choice not to own up and not to go back into relationship, he had to face then the consequences of that and hence sin entered the world and all the issues we've had since then. Eve did exactly the same thing. But that didn't stop God providing them with clothing and still being good to them. He still loved them. He still talked with them. You see, we don't understand the, the passionate love that God has and the depths to which you'll reach out over and over and over again to find ways to enter into our life and help us. Eh? And you find it all through the Bible. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So all through the Bible, you find God reaching out to help people, to, to touch people's life, to make himself known every kind of way. And then finally, he came out of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ into the world to show what he is like. And Jesus said, this is why I have come. This is why I left heaven. This is why I left the majesty and the glory of heaven and became very humble and came just like everyone else. This is why I did it, because I have come to seek, to pursue, and to, and to get back something that's very precious and valuable. That's why I came. So all through the Bible, God visited the earth and kept showing his compassion and his power and his willingness to help people. And finally, he sent his only son. If I send my son, they will respond. Instead, man crucified him. But even that didn't stop God loving. See, God doesn't stop loving. That's the thing that's amazing. You look at Paul on the road to Damascus. And Paul, he's a religious nutter. Too much education for his own good. And so he's full of education, full of religion. He thinks he's doing God a favor, killing the Christians. And so you'd think, now, you imagine you're a Christian, and this guy's stirring up all of the problems and causing everyone to go to jail and be beaten up and people killed and families broken up and homes broken into. What would you be praying about that guy? Well, probably different to how God turned up. God just suddenly, poof, and he interrupted him. He just interrupted him and then changed his life with one encounter. And that guy that caused so much destruction, God raised him up and made him the greatest builder of the church in the New Testament. That's God, passionate pursuer of people. He chases people. He looks for people. You think about how you came to Christ. Someone came to you, and probably not one, probably several people, probably people would... God put it on their heart to pray for you. And all the time they were praying for you, saying, no to God, no, no, no. And he's not upset by that. He keeps pursuing. We give up quick. 
Oh, well, they are. That's their choice. That's harshness. God's not like that. He never treated you that way. His love is passionate, expressive, and it pursues people. I've observed when people fall away from God, they feel condemned. They don't feel good enough. They do what Adam did, run away and hide. Where do you hide when you stay out of church? Because if you come here, you feel exposed. People run away from God. I remember going to a pub one time. We, we were, we, we'd gone out for a meal, and we had a lovely meal. It was a wonderful meal, and, uh, and I enjoyed it. And, and then I heard the sound of all the music next door. And I thought, let's go in there. And uh, I said, there's bound to be some people who have fallen away from God in there. That's What are we going to do when you fall away from God? No more music? No, we're going to find some other music. Go out there to the other music. No more Holy Ghost love to touch our life. We'll go out and go drink something or whatever. And sure, we went in there, and sure enough, I see a guy there, and he was once walking with God. And I said, you watch this. And uh, I went over, and he was up at the bar there, and he's ordering his drinks. He had his whole hand with drinks. I just waited until he got his drinks. He's doing something busy, so I didn't interrupt him. And then when he got all his drinks, I tapped him on the shoulder. and said, hi, how you doing? And he's sort of holding all these armful of drinks and stuff. <laughs> he said, oh, what are you doing here? I said, I've come to talk to you. God sent me to talk with you. He loves you. Now you've been through some hard stuff, but that doesn't stop God loving you. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Finding substitutes for the real. You need another round. Of course you will. See? Because you lose, you've lost what you needed. Touch of God, the presence of God, the love of God, living and alive in your heart. Man, it was great. We saw him at church that Sunday. It was good. I got so excited. I thought I might go around all the other pubs. So we did. We did a pub crawl. Went in all the other Would you believe it? In every pub we found someone. Went up to them too, the same way. It was great. I loved it. I haven't done a pub crawl for a while. Let's get out and do it again. Should take Lenny with me. You'd be safe to take, would you, Lenny? <laughs> would she, Leon? <laughs> anyway, but you see, the point is here that God pursues people. He doesn't quit on them. doesn't give up. Never gives up. He keeps believing in them, reaching out, and he'll find someone to come and get you. Just when you're, I can remember, I can remember when I was in Dannyville and started my first year teaching. It was disastrous. I remember coming home, it was so disastrous. One day I came home and I, I just sat down and cried. I thought it was disastrous. I had the worst day. It was just terrible. And uh, I, I thought my life was finished about that time. My career was finished. So I said, that's it, God. I'm getting out of here. Unless you send someone to help me. And now I had hardly finished saying the prayer. And knock, knock, knock at the door. I thought, well, who the heck could that be interrupting me? And uh, feeling sorry for myself. And I, but there was a pastor was there. I said, oh. <laughs> I said, I felt God put it on my heart to come and talk with you. God pursues us, loves us, don't ever gives up. And he wants us to be the same kind of people, you see. He's wonderful, wonderful person. See, so got all kinds. Now, this is all through. Notice this in Romans 5, verse 8. It says, Now God demonstrates his love for us that when we were dead, had no interest in God, in fact, anti-God, then he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Now, well, you can't get better than that. That is passionate, determined, pursuing of people. God was determined to make it possible for us to get a relationship back no matter how we treated him. That's amazing love. Amazing, extravagant, that he would give his own son to die on the cross, that we could have a relationship. Wow, it's amazing. That's God. Eh? Now, human heart can never be filled without God. 
in, in, in Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says, Now the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Now, uh, that word lamp is like a candle lamp that has to have oil in it and has a little wick and it has a life. And it says, you and I are spirit beings. So we are a spirit being. God is a spirit. We're made in his image. We're a spirit being living in a body. We have a soul, mind, will, emotions and whatever. But our spirit, until we receive Jesus Christ, our spirit is dead. And the Bible says, like a person taking a light and bringing it down and lighting an oil lamp that was not working. He says, that what God does to our spirit? When we receive Christ, we receive the love of God into our heart. It ignites something inside us. Isn't that wonderful? God ignites love inside us. Then it's your job to keep it going. The Old Testament, God shows it everywhere in the Bible. Here's one example. They had the Old Testament. God said, make an altar for me. And he says, I want you to prepare an offering for me and, uh, and give something to me. And then fire came from heaven. He said, now you just keep the fire going. Keep that fire of love burning. See, so God loves us. And there's a part of us can never be satisfied unless God satisfies us. So it says another one of the Proverbs, says in Proverbs 18, 28, you will light and ignite and set me on fire. How do we do that? When we receive Jesus Christ, when we experience God's love, we start to ignite on the inside. Now, God has designed you with a number of thirsts or longings inside. It's interesting. Everyone's got them. Doesn't matter where they are, what color, what race. We're designed with these needs. Now, one of them, there's a thirst in our heart for security. Every person longs to feel security. It's, in, it's built into us. It's a longing. Okay? And we, we, we're longing to be loved unconditionally. Not to have to work and never be sure whether we're acceptable, but to have received love that's unconditional and accept us no matter what we've done. We're secure in that relationship. We need that. People enter into relationships hoping they'll find security. But if we don't find it in God, what we'll do is we'll find a substitute. So people enter into all kinds of relationships looking for security and then hurt themselves because they're looking, they need to find it in God. Second need we have is a need for self-worth, to feel we're a person of value. So we try to find it apart from God. Well, we'll get lots of money. We'll try and become important people or get significant positions and whatever. But at the end of the day, none of those things satisfy because the money goes at the wrong time when you need it the most. The, the position fails and falls over and you get fired and, and something changes and there's no security in it. There's nothing lasting in it. But God never changes. He will always tell you how much he values you. You look back at the cross, you see his value expressed in a very tangible, practical way. But right now we can experience him. We can have that. There's another need we have. It's the need for significance, the need to have a sense of purpose in our life, the need to think that my life is not nothing, but it counts for something. And God is the only one that can give you that. And so if we don't find it in God, we'll find it somewhere else. We thirst for adventure. We thirst for love and intimacy. But you know, what if you don't find some of those things in God, what you do is you try to find something that will fill it. So guys get real excited about, you know, man stuff and get excited out there and watching a match and get all excited. But actually, there's an area of adventure that God wants to put in your heart. It's called the walk of faith, where he takes you into situations, gives you opportunities to take risks and show courage and trust in him. All the other stuff's a substitute. 
So they said, this is God. This is what he's like. So God wants to reveal his love for you. I want you to have a look in Song of Solomon. Guys, you're going to find this one a bit hard too, but here it is. It's here anyway. So most guys just overlook this book. I'd rather go into the kings, you know, and read about the kings and the battles and the fighting the battles and won great victories and whatever. But that's only part of life, you know. You can't live all your life like that. And, uh, and so Song of Solomon is put in there to show us the nature of the loving relationship God wants with us. Now look at this. Now here it is. Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And uh, remember, it's just a picture. And now here's, here's, here's the woman. She's saying, she, now remember, she's speaking to the Lord, about the Lord. She said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Whoa! Now, if you have ever been kissed, you remember what a kiss is like. First kiss. You don't usually forget it. My first kiss was a long time ago. But I remember it. <laughs> first time I kissed Joy was a long time ago, but I remember where we were. I remember it exactly. Didn't you? Remember yours? That, young people, you don't know anything about this. That's okay. It's, it's a one day it'll happen. It's all right. Don't be in a hurry. Kissing's like drinking wine. Once you start, it's hard to stop. That's what it says. Your kisses are sweeter than wine. Say, have you ever had a sweet wine? Well, you want more. Now, some of you don't know about that, but I can tell you now from experience, once you start, you want more. And you have just a little bit, first of all. Well, that's a nice one. I'll have a bit more of that. And then something changes once you've had a few wines. Have you noticed? Well, you've probably seen people like that, but, you know, Lenny knows, isn't that right? Yeah, you have a few wines, you know, it's, see? Well, life cheers up, you know? Life gets very, very cheery. First one you have, if you haven't drunk much wine, it's so, whoo, I feel, whoo, whoo, ha, ha, time to feel good, give me another one, you know? And then you start to loosen up. And then now you've forgotten about all the problems. Yeah, it's good. The jokes are flowing and you're laughing and... Yeah, you're sat- there's a whole new area of, you know, all that control is all starting to go now, and stuff's starting to come. So when people laugh, when people drink, you know, often they'll talk loud and talk, and they're all over the place, and they'll laugh a lot, or they'll cry and get angry a lot. Whatever's in their heart will come out any one way, but that's what the drink does. And says, now, love or kiss, his kisses are sweeter than the wine, and they're better for you too. Now, what is it talking Now, this is picture language. It's trying to give you something. That you can, that you do know, so you can understand something you don't know. See? So it talks about kissing and wine. And when they go together, it's a bad mix. <laughs> Too much wine, and then it'll be lots of kissing, that's for sure, see? So he says, your kisses are sweeter than wine. See? So, there's something about kissing, you can never, it's like eating chocolate, can't stop with one. See? Once you've had one. See, now, so when the Bible's talking in this verse about, about kisses and about the kiss of God, it's talking about a touch of God's Spirit coming into our spirit and we feel His love and acceptance and it ignites something in us. Just like kissing does. Well, you know what kissing ignites in you. Well, this is saying it ignites something. We get touched by God, you know. Here it is, the kiss of God. It's the touch of God's Spirit. And what it does is it softens your heart when God touches you. It melts your heart. If you've been hard or disappointed or angry, and then God starts to touch you with His love, most people just cry. 
They cry or they become soft. I've seen people and we had encounters with God and the presence of God filled the place and the love of God was so tangible. It was tangible. You could feel it, filling the whole atmosphere. And, and when it was like that, no one wanted to go. They wanted to hang out and it changed. Now, we were in a Bible school and there people from all these different uh, cultures and races and nations. And when God set them free of demons, then they felt his love. The whole environment and culture of the college changed. The nations united when they experienced the passionate, consuming, delivering love of God. Okay? Kiss of God. That's what she, And she said that because this is better than wine. See, because wine will just leave you with a hangover. It will pick you up and then let you down. He said when God touches us and keeps touching us in our spirit, then our lives ignite with fire. We become free. We become overflowing. Later on in the year, I've got a guy called Jason Westerfield coming here. Now, you're going to enjoy Jason. You're either going to love him or hate him. It'll be one or the other. But the one thing you'll have to admit, he's freer than you are. See? And so when people get uptight, I like to bring someone in who's really free. But when you have someone who's really free, you feed off it yourself. Opens your own heart. He's just a passionate lover of God, and God's presence comes comes anywhere, out in the community, in the coffee bars, all over the place. Wonderful what God does, the miracles God does. It's going to be great. Look him up on the Internet, and you find some of the stuff he's been doing. It's great. Be coming here to stir us up to love God a bit more. Right? So when God loves us, we feel very, very special. So how does it happen? How does God do that? How does he come upon us? Well, normally, see, one of the things i found is God can do it most unexpected time. He'll often touch us when we never expect it. Like I was just sitting there meditating in the Word of God yesterday, and suddenly the presence of God just filled the room. She began to weep. I feel his love. Just it's like, whoa, what? who did that? Like someone turned on the lights. And I didn't go into my room thinking that's likely to happen. It happened. Sometimes I've been in a car just driving to work and played a CD, and one song, I thought, oh, that, I like the words, I like that song. I mean, to play, and suddenly there's the tears. I began to feel the car filled with the presence of God. So God can touch us through meditating in his word. He can touch us through a song. He can touch us through an act of kindness that someone does to us. That so touches your heart. We had a very difficult situation in Cambodia where we've got a team going out in 10 days' time or something and, and, uh, and a war has broken out on the boundary between there and Thailand. And the guy who's arranging everything had to go immediately up there. And there was all sorts of uncertainty around the trip and everything like that. And and uh, then he was feeling we didn't try. We'd given money to him, and we're trying to work out how the money can be released for the mission and what can happen. And in the middle of it, he began to be kind of feeling like we didn't trust him. And I said, we just need to give him this money. It's not a big sum. Let's give it to him because he's doing a great job over there. Just tell him we love you, we trust you, we want to just bless you. And you know what? He wept. He just broke down and wept at a tangible act of kindness that expressed God's love to him. People need that. But it's ignited when we encounter the love of God for us. It's ignited by God. So how does God do it? Sometimes someone shares a testimony. And as they share their testimony, oh, you just feel like you want to cry. Suddenly, you, how many have found that? Someone shared something with you and you just felt the tears welling up. Because if you're a guy, you'll try and hold it in. You know? And uh, have you been in a movie? You know, now I like to go to a movie. I went to Transformers. Well, Transformers, there's no soft, tender stuff. And I would only a little bit, about three minutes. And then it's, oh, get on the action. There's stuff going on all the time. It was a great movie, you see. Boy's movie. You know, but you know, you can't live your life on that stuff because actually, although it, it just is a temporary fix. What you really need, you still got to have relationship. 
So you get into another story. And I remember going and watching the notebook. Oh, 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 my goodness me. I had to turn it off. I think, oh, I can feel tears coming. Why are the tears coming? You know, but there was something in the story that triggered something deep in my heart. And I thought, what is it about that movie that's touching something in my heart? What is it in my heart it's touching? See, most people just watch the movies, don't think of anything. But many times you'll be in a movie and then suddenly you'll just feel your heart open up. Because the Bible says deep calls to deep. God uses many ways to engage our heart, to stop us and get us to think about real values. Have you ever watched New Zealand at the Olympic Games when we have our man up there? Now, you may not even be into sport of any kind, but boy... You watch our man up there on the stand and he's got the gold and they're singing our anthem. It's hard not to cry. And you think, what on earth is that about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about somehow someone breaking through and defeating everything that was against him and rising up and becoming a champion in the world. And that connects with purpose in our heart deep cause to deep because secretly we want that to happen to us see so God's got many ways of touching you with his presence and his love of igniting you to come back into relationship with him maybe it's a prophetic word someone brings maybe you have a prophetic encounter with visions or dreams perhaps it's someone just touch, God just touches your spirit at some time or maybe just you felt someone prayed for you I was in, in my office and a guy came to me and he'd been without the touch of God for about 18 months and I just talked with him and showed him what to do. And I said, in about 10 to 15 minutes, you'll experience God again. Sure enough, presence of God just came and filled the room. And next thing he says, he said, oh, I'm glad you're leaning on the chair. I can't even stand up. Can I sit down? God reaching out to touch him. And he went away ignited. And so God wants to ignite something in you. Wants to ignite fire in you. Wants to, when did you last have a touch of God? When did you last experience him? When did you last open your heart and acknowledge that, yes, you filled your life with substitutes and really you need God? Well, God tells us in his word that God so loved the world, he sent his son, gave his son. And the most wonderful picture, I'll just finish with this last picture from the Bible of, of the passionate, expressive love of God. It's found in the story of the prodigal son. And the son virtually said, well, I wish my father was dead. I want the money now and I want out. I want to go my own way. So his mindset was, I got a better life without God than with God. And then later on, his life is messed up, ruined. It's character so broken down. His friends that he had because he had money have gone and everything's gone. He's been abused and now his character's broken down. His heart's been broken. He despises himself. He smells like the pigs. And in the middle of it, he remembers but there was goodness in his father. <laughs> he remembers. Comes back to his senses, the Bible says. That actually, God is good. And he makes a decision, he'll come back. And so, I guess all the time he's coming back, he's a mess and smells and his clothes are tatty and whatever. And went out a proud young man with a lot of money and all these hopes and aspirations. And now his life's a mess. And, well, what will my father be like? And he gets, as he gets there, the Bible says... In one of the verses, it said this. While he was a long way off, the father saw him. And the father was moved with compassion, not judgment. He didn't say, well, look what you've done and you messed your life up. 
he felt compassion. It's my son and I love him. And it says the father ran. He ran to him. He put his arms around him and hugged him. And he wept over him and kissed him. That's passionate, pursuing love. That's what God is like. That love is what Jesus came to reveal. His final prayer as he prayed in the garden was something like this. Father, I have enjoyed your love. And it's enabled me to accomplish all these things. Now the relationship I have with you, I want them to have also. See, that's what Jesus came to give us, was that. That we accept a substitute. Why don't we make a decision in our heart just to open our lives again, or maybe for the first time, to experience the love of God.